Welcome to the Great British Drafting Show, an exclusive off-season series where we'll be taking a weekly look into the 2020 NFL Draft and how the Panthers might approach it. We are proud to be part of the Riot Network, which is powered by Ortho Carolina. That's all your Panthers podcast that you could possibly want, all in one place. Uh, if you do learn something during this week's episode, please do be to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from so that other Panthers fans can find and enjoy the show as well. Tell your friends, tell your family. Um, but if you don't like the show, please do feel free to keep those opinions to yourself. My name's Ollie. Um, I'm one of the leaders of the Royal Riot here in the UK and I'll be your host right up to the draft. Uh, thanks to Josh for filling in last week, but after his attempt at a British accent, he has sadly been let go. Um, I am joined by Vincent, as I will be every week. Vincent, tell us a little bit about uh, Hi, I'm the uh, analyst and uh, draft sort of analyst for the for the right report. Um, so I write mostly. Draft guru, come on. Dra- yeah, I think draft guru is how Josh has started started to refer to it. So yeah, so I, yeah. I, I will be providing most of the sort of the tape based analysis uh, for the right report as we build up to the draft and the big boards and all that stuff. Good stuff. So um, this week, we're going to take a look through the Panthers roster, have a look at each position, a little bit more detail, um, start to think about how the Panthers might go about addressing any of the gaps we've got. Um, Given the season we've had, that's probably going to take a bit of time. (laughs) So we're going to split that over two podcasts. Um, There's only so much misery that we can take in one sitting, I think. So um, we'll start with the offense and then next time we'll we'll look at the defense and special teams. Yeah. Good. Good Okay. So before we do that, though, we've had quite a bit of news in in, uh, in the Panthers world. So um, start on Joe Brady quickly, uh, who's brought in as our new offensive coordinator. Um, probably fair to say he's had a special season at LSU. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fairly depressing that, you know, I'm five years older than him, but <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Um, don't you think? Yeah, no, I, I think it, it, it's it's one of the more promising signs for the Panthers at the moment in terms of sort of philosophy and coaching going forwards. Um, obviously when you hire someone coming from college to the NFL, particularly someone who wasn't sort of fully the offensive coordinator, he was more focused on the passing game at LSU. Like there, there are going to be adjustments and learning periods. Um, and this probably isn't the move that is going to make the best possible offense in, in 2020. However, he, he brings a lot of really good ideas and this is probably a a hire which has a very very high ceiling so when I say good ideas I don't just mean he has some wonderful play designs and it's all very clever and intricate his his sort of very pragmatic common sense approach to offensive philosophy is is really something that could help the Panthers Um, far too often in the last sort of four or five years or so the Panthers possibly even longer the Panthers have have relied very heavily on big plays down the field in the passing game and, and put an awful lot on the shoulders of the quarterback to be very accurate down the field. Whereas what Joe Brady did was much more, uh, although the, although uh, LSU did throw the ball deep a fair amount, it was much more varied. There were always short options. He spread defences out. They very rarely used players to, to, to pass protect other than the offensive line. Uh, he looked to target as much of the field laterally and vertically as possible. You know, it, it, it's all the really common sense things about passing games that so few teams actually do. He kind of put into... Into, into use in LSU and also for I mean it's I'm far from an expert on LSU's scheme you know, it's quite hard to get tape on it if nothing else uh, but but from what I understand he also did quite a lot effectively extending out of the option game so that you know the NFL talks a lot about RPOs and quite often those are really very simplistic where there's like a run option and a pass option 
Whereas uh, from from stuff I've heard Joe Burrow talk about um, when going through tape, they sort of effectively had sort of three or four options all built off the run, where depending on which defender came down to run support, there was then a different passing option off of it. And that kind of stuff is 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 really easy for the quarterback and, and allows for potentially comparatively complex passing attacks off really simple reads. So if you can implement those in an NFL-style offense with a functional running game and a varied passing attack, that that's that's potentially really, really promising. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was quite interesting what he was saying about, you know, finding out what, what people are good at and then putting them in the right positions to be successful. And when you say that out loud, it, it seems pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> it, 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 you, you do start to wonder, you know, is this is this just his philosophy or has he perhaps seen something in Carolina where he's, he sees that we're not doing that? I mean, I don't think it's just in Carolina. I think a lot of teams, a worrying number of teams don't do that particularly well, that um, a, a lot of. A lot of coaches have a view, have like a, a a vague philosophy at least, and then they try and sort of adapt it a little bit around their personnel. But the flexibility is fundamentally not there. So say you take all the people who are running something like what the Panthers run last year. So Stefanski ran something similar in, in Minnesota, and there are others around the NFL running similar-ish concepts in terms of you know, the classic North Turner type offense. And of course, all of them run slightly different things, and some of that is built around personnel. But if you arrive and you've got a pretty poor offensive line, um, but loads of good wide receivers, they, they don't necessarily match that to suit their personnel as much. They kind of it, it, the amount of flexibility most people have is actually quite limited. Whereas if you can be really flexible, if you just sort of take a completely open page to, to, to building your offensive scheme around what you have, you, you can do very very different things. Yeah, cool. Sounds good. So that's let's dive straight in then and start talking about through the offense um okay. it's a fairly obvious place to start let's, let's talk about quarterbacks um yeah cam obviously sat the majority of the season out um yeah. it's been you know in so much coverage on cam and, and and what his future is but just just briefly you know in in your opinion where do you see the panthers going here do you, do you think he's done or do you think it you know it is purely just a case of if he's healthy or not so yeah, I mean, I mean, we talked about this a bit last week as well, so I try not to go on for too long. But I think it, it's it's going to depend an awful lot on 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 a few things. So um, ultimately, if Cam is willing to play into the final year of his deal without an extension, that makes it far more likely that he stays. I think what the, the Panthers really want to avoid is signing him to a long-term extension for him to then be done. Um, and so having a year to find out whether he's done or not gives them a, a, a lot more flexibility around what they do however if they are convinced that he's done no matter what then i think you you trade him now because his value is only going to go down the more teams realize that so it it, it, it will ultimately come back to the medical stuff but i think depending on his health and his willingness to play through the contract it will kind of it will depend on that um it would be a surprise if if the Panthers gave him an extension, I think that's probably the least likely outcome or extension of any length and significance. But other than that, it's kind of it's very much then down to the health. Yeah. And, you know, couldn't agree more. The, the question is, though, is what's the alternative here? <laughs> because, you know, we drafted someone pretty high last year who did basically nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, we had Alan come in who, while the results certainly started off pretty well, um, yeah, they tailed off. Yeah, Very I quick. mean, Alan is a perfectly passable backup quarterback who I don't think there's any need to move on from. 
but also should not be part of the long-term plans in terms of starters. You know, it's, it, it's, he's, he's a backup and, and nothing more, I think. Mm-hmm. So on the assumption, let's let's make an assumption and let's say Cam doesn't stick around. What do we do here? Yeah. You know, free agency? Do we? Uh, to, to trade up is that a hail mary <laughs> to, to uh, trade up it, i, I think two? i think it, if you move on from cam i think you then are looking at quite a deep rebuild um i would be i think if they let cam go i think you probably then do bring in a free agent but, but i i think what i mean by that is not going after a a tom brady or a uh uh prescott but more bringing in someone who means that you don't have to start Carl allen and you don't have to draft someone to start. So so just the flexibility of if you lose someone, you should bring someone in to kind of just a Marcus Mariota or a Teddy Bridgewater maybe, or even or even someone less significant than that. Just just someone who can sort of offer you a base level of competence to which build, you can build the rest of a roster around. And, and maybe Mariota's way better here than he is in Tennessee, or Bridgewater is back to his old self. You know, a signing that has some upset, like, like what Tennessee did with Tannehill last year, effectively. Um, if... If Cam stays, I, I, I think they don't sign anyone. I, I don't think you can, you can justify signing another quarterback if, if Cam stays um, in free agency. Um, but I think there's a chance that whether he stays or not, they, they have some interest in the draft. Um, I personally am not a huge fan of drafting a quarterback in the first round unless you are absolutely in love with them or you have no other real needs. So I, I don't think that the... the if Cam leaves, the solution doesn't have to be this year. Like most teams who lose their franchise quarterback don't then rebuild to compete a year or two down the line. It's a three or four year process. That doesn't mean they won't be good for three or four years. But the idea that you you need to have a franchise quarterback immediately to replace your franchise quarterback, I think, is is not a particularly sensible approach. Um, so I, I, I would have thought they would maybe be more interested in sort of day two, day three someone who they can develop behind a Mariota um, and could then, you then you have more of a competition between Greer and Allen as to who is the third quarterback on the roster or who is the, 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 the primary backup. Yeah. So before we move on from, from quarterbacks, you know, this is a show about drafting last year. We did draft a quarterback. Yeah. What, what future do you see for, for Greer in Carolina or, or elsewhere? I, it's one of those things where the, the, you know, ultimately he played a game and a half. So it's quite hard to make some sort of wild assessment. And there are there are things he does relatively well. And and, and the Colts game was far from a disaster. However, uh, he is a comparatively, he was a comparatively old rookie, um, which means that it's quite hard to think that he's suddenly going to make massive jumps if he doesn't make them the next sort of year or so. I think it, it does depend what else happens in Carolina. I, I, I don't think you, he's so bad that you ha- you can't have him as a third quarterback and you have to draft someone to compete with him. But I would be very surprised if he didn't go into camp competing for a roster spot. Um, and if he wins it, then you keep him around. And if he loses it, then you get rid of him. I mean, uh, I, it's hard to see him having a ton of trade value around the NFL. Um, I personally wasn't a big fan of the pick at the time. But it's one of those things where if you hit on a quarterback, then then that has a massive payoff. So, I, yeah, I, I think the odds are he's, he's competing for a roster spot in camp, whether that's with... Uh, Kyle Allen, or whether that's with a, a, a late round draft pick. Cool. Okay, so that just about wraps up the quarterback side of things. Let's look at running back. So, obviously in CMC, we've got you know just about as, as big a lock as you can get. In terms yes, of RB1. Yeah. We we all know what he can do. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know how good he is. He's just ridiculous. But 
the real question around him is actually how long can he sustain that not in terms of ability but in terms of his body and, and you know yeah. the amount of just he's getting yeah and this is something that i've kind of i've i, I saw someone um talking about this in terms of whether if the Panthers are going to rebuild significantly, whether it would be worth trading him just because his body will likely be shot by the time, you know, in, in four years' time, he'll be a 27-year-old running back. But I, I, I think it's one of those things where you do have to be sensible around it. Um, and if the Panthers aren't going to be super good the next couple of years, giving him 400 touches a season probably isn't a great idea. That 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 you can extend his career by changing how you use him in the short term and possibly in the long term. Um, and I think that's something that potentially a Joe Brady offense might look to do. Like if you talk about using players that their strengths are, like CMC is an ex- he is not bad in any regard. Like he is a pretty well-rounded running back who does a few things exceptionally well. And if you were looking to maybe make his impact possibly just as significant, whilst also decreasing his his touches and the amount of contact he gets, you maybe shift it more towards the passing game, and and you maybe don't give him quite as much responsibility in the running game. And and that sounds like, well, why wouldn't you, you know, he, he's an outstanding running back, and he is. But ultimately, there's a big difference between a running back getting, say, 150, 200 touches a year and a running back getting 350, 400 touches a year. Um, and I think if you looked at how the Panthers can extend his career, you know, he, he is a, a fantastically unique, um, game-changing, potentially, player. And it, they would do their best to maximize his value and so this is what Rivera talked about before last season then just didn't do which is taking away the the unnecessary touches that the touches that other people can replicate so if you're running the ball in short yardage situations you can use someone else for that that's probably not something he massively um excels at compared to say uh, a Reggie Bonifon or, or someone else um you you can focus his his value in terms of the outside runs and the uh passing game and of course you have to do some inside runs to, to make those things justified but you can focus his his usage more towards what he does really really well as opposed to what he's just good at and then you can bring in other players to rotate in more and, and I think that's something that you might see in more of a pragmatic offense where you look to use players more at what they're exceptional at rather than what they're just not bad at yeah it's, it's tough though isn't it especially if you know you <clears throat> your back's against the wall you need some points. You just want to give it to your best player, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. And, and, but it's it's about when you choose to do that because doing that in you know the divisional round when you're 21, 22, you know in in the middle of January that that's that's the time you just do that. Whereas if, if you're five and seven and and you're you know away at Jacksonville, maybe that isn't the time to just run your best player on the ground to make yourself six and seven rather than five and eight. Yeah, you know, and, and obviously so you can't not everything is quite that binary but if the Panthers aren't the Panthers this year it was fairly clear by about halfway through the season probably weren't once Cam wasn't coming back they weren't going to be competitive and while I know they obviously wanted to get CMC to the the thousand thousand mark and that is kind of a bit different but you you have to be a bit smart about it that there's there are times when winning the game is all important there are times when winning the game you want to do but actually it's not worth sacrificing long-term plans for um it's the same with like player rehabilitation and stuff. Like when, when when you bring a player back if you absolutely need them and the game is crucial, not just for any game. Um, so I, I think that's possibly particularly if they're not great next year, that that's how you can save some of CMC's legs. And and if you talk about sort of what he'll be like after rebuild, there's a big difference between a 27 year old running back 
who's had 300 plus carries every year for the last five years uh, and a 27 year old player who's essentially been playing as somewhere between a, a receiver and a running back and and might have the yardage production because the passing game you can generally get more efficient yardage per touch but but didn't have quite the number of hits and the hits he had were probably less violent because they're out in space so so i think i think there are ways to save his body whilst also making him a crucial part of the offense yeah so so looking at the at the roster as it is then currently at running back how do we start to take some of that pressure off him you know with with bonafon scarlett davis you know where do you see us going and, and who do you think can step into his shoes so Bonifon actually looked pretty decent in the touches he did get. It, it, I mean, th- that's been the issue with the Panthers in the last couple of years is that the running backs they have had who aren't McCaffrey have actually looked pretty good when they've played. They just haven't had many touches. We, we saw the same thing with CJ Anderson last year. Um, I think it would be nice to see Bonifon get more touches next year, partly because we just don't know what he's like. But also he has looked pretty good in the preseason. He looked really quite nice. He runs uh quite differently to McCaffrey but in quite an effective way and can still replicate some of the stuff in the passing game which gives you more of a a like-for-like replacement um Scarlett is and Davis is less uncertain just because he's he's been relatively productive elsewhere Scarlett is the big unknown um just because we we didn't really see him at all and when we did it wasn't really anything that, that stood out either good or bad uh obviously the Panthers did spend a fifth round pick on him last year but I would be a little bit surprised if he was locked in for a roster spot at this point, given the fact that he hasn't really shown anything either way. And, and actually, if you're rebuilding, moving on from last year's fifth round pick is not, you know, the Panthers moved on from Gordon this year, who was a third round pick. So I, I don't think the idea they'd move on from Scarlett is ridiculous. Um, Davis is the harder one because, he, you know, he does offer you a, a sort of a, a relatively high floor and that, you know, he's a serviceable NFL player. But I think he's due something like three million dollars next year and the Panthers can get out of all of it by releasing him. So if he's not going to get many touches, it's quite hard to justify paying him $3 million to, to not really do anything. I there's Just because of the value in running backs, I'd have thought they'd probably try someone out in free agency for sort of, you know, an Alfred Morris type or someone who essentially similar to Davis, but maybe a bit cheaper, maybe a bit better. Because you, you can get serviceable running backs fairly cheaply in, in free agency just because of the number of them. Um, I'd be surprised if they spent much assets in the draft on a running back. Um It'll also depend a lot on about how much Brady wants to rotate. If if he if his view is still that you mainly use CMC and you have someone here or there, it's hard to justify spending more assets to improve that. But if you are going to rotate more, maybe a third running back comes in. But this is this is really probably one of the positions that the Panthers have the least interest in changing. Partly because CMC is so good, but also because you have young, potentially good players behind him who you can start to bring on. Cool. Yeah, that that sounds. Like we pretty much covered off the the running backs there. Like I say, it's not probably going to be a focus for us. So no. let's move on and talk about tight ends. So yeah. obviously, Greg Olson is, you know, we don't know anything yet, but it looks like he's probably going to move on. He's he's certainly doing some work with um, in the broadcasting side of things at the moment, as he has done yeah. in previous five weeks and years gone by. Um, he's been fantastic for us you know before the the foot injury started you know getting um three consecutive thousand yard seasons was you know the, the yeah. first tight end to do so obviously kelsey's gone and done it now um but he's, he's been great for us and you know if you think about some of the players who who are leaving and you think back to that 2015 season you know and how we had that sort of core 
of, of, of great talent on that team and and they're all sort of just one by one dropping away yeah it's quite depressing it, it really is i don't know if you've seen that picture on twitter saying about the this is the standard until we were in a super bowl and it was yeah it's like the captain to an out all gone pretty much or or could could be all gone by the end of this off season yeah it's, i feel like that picture should be in black and white because it's, it's it's, it's it such is. a sad sight to, to look at now when you when you think about what we had and you know, it, it, it's obviously a transition phase for us. Um, yeah. But, you know, if we talk about specifically around Titan, we, we took uh, Ian Thomas uh, yeah. years back. His touches have been pretty limited. Um, but obviously yeah. with, with Greg injured, he has had some some game time. Yeah, they've been quite, sort of quite it, it, again, this is sort of going back to sort of the CMC sort of rotation idea. The, the thing with Ian Thomas is it, it, it's... His touches have either been basically you're the starter, go out and be the replacement for Greg Olsen because he's hurt, or it's been you're not really part of the attack. And I, I would be surprised if the Panthers were desperate to get a like. You know, if, if Greg Olsen does go, which I think is likely, not I don't know whether he retires or whether he, he he moves on. I mean, ultimately, if they're rebuilding, you can't really blame a guy for 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 not really wanting to stick around for that. Um, but I, I think uh, Ian Thomas will probably be the primary tight end next year, just just because he's shown enough so far, and eventually you have to give these young players a chance, especially if you're rebuilding. You just you, you have to see what they're like, and if it, if they're bad, then you deal with that in a, in a year or two. Um, mm. But the question then becomes whether he he becomes the the complete Greg Olsen replacement. He they just go right. Well, you're the tight end. You play every snap. You do all of it. Or whether they maybe rotate more than they have in the past and look to use the things that he's good at. Um, maybe alongside another tight end or they rotate a bit depending on situations um and if they do that that's where i think their their target might be because as whilst manhats and armor haven't been bad as such it's hard to say they've been particularly impressive either neither of whom really offers much in the passing game though armor that's possibly more because they haven't tried it rather than because he's shown he can't do it and so if you want a, a secondary tight end who can contribute in the passing game that's something they're going to have to go out and find, whether that's a free agent, someone like a, a Tyler Eifert, say, probably still won't be very expensive because of the injury history, um, or whether you go and do that in the mid-round of the draft. Um, the other question becomes, if this is, you know, you talked about Joe Brady not really using extra blockers that much, is there a role for both Manhurts and Armour? I mean, I would be a little bit surprised if they're they're both just assumed roster spots because... It's quite hard to justify in a in a in in the NFL now to have two specialist blockers, uh, and and it's not like either of them have been so extraordinarily good as to, to, to just justify their space um, wholeheartedly. So the tight end position, other than Ian Thomas, is very much in flux. I would say uh, the, the the question becomes: Is this the priority, and do you think there's value, and, and how how they try and fill those spots out? Uh, I think this is the thing we're going to get to with, with the roster as a whole. There's there's so many potential needs that they're not going to be able to fill all of them this offseason. It's about making sure that you're not reaching for players, you're getting good value at the ones you do fill, and then and then looking to fill the remainder as you go forward. So whether they sign a tight end in the short term in free agency or whether they try and draft a developmental guy is kind of depending on what their other options are at other positions. Yeah, I think as well, if if you think about, you know, back to um when when Greg was was firing and, and Cam, you know, he was his number one target. And you think mm-hmm. If you look at the last season or two with when Greg has been obviously you know injured and, and missing quite a few games, even the number of targets at our you know backup tight end just went way, way down. 
you know, we yeah. weren't running as many plays that were using tight ends. So obviously now we've got a completely new coaching staff coming in. You know, how much are they going to be looking to utilize the tight end position as a receiver? It's going to be quite interesting. I would, I would, I would have thought they. they yeah, I, I'd have thought it would still be quite a significant part of the offense, just just because of of um, you know if you look at LSU, they use the tight end quite effectively there, but but also it, it's it's a useful piece to have. It doesn't necessarily have to be the core of what you do offensively, but there are very few teams that essentially just don't use a tight end at all, and it's generally because they don't have anyone rather than because they don't think it's important. It, it gives you a nice matchup piece potentially. Cool. Okay. That just about wraps up the tight end. So let's look at um, the other receivers and the wide receivers. Um, Samuel and Moore, I think we can probably safely say, are the presumed starters. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd be shocked if they weren't. Yeah. What about Samuel's contract situation? Do you see us making a move on that in the offseason? I mean, personally, I think I probably... I, I mean, it, it's hard to tell what they'll do. It will depend a lot on what happens elsewhere. But that 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 is something that I think it would be worth keeping an eye on because... I don't think right now he's going to go and get a bumper contract. I mean, he might just say, I want to try myself. I want, I want to I back myself. I'm going to go into my contract year. But I, I, I think the, the concerns that there were about him in terms of injuries didn't seem to really be a factor this year, which I think is promising. Um, and also, you know, his production was less than what he actually could have done if he'd had a good quarterback, shall we say. So he's someone who, whose value is probably lower than what it should be right now. And he's young enough that he'll be there that far side of a rebuild. So, it, it, you know, if you could get him something like a five-year, $40 million contract, which, I mean, obviously these are just hypothetical, so it's hard to know. But I, I don't think he gets blockbuster receiver money right now. Um, and if he goes out and has a 1,200-yard season with, you know, 10 touchdowns because he just gets over the top a few times, uh, then then suddenly it's the Josh Norman thing where where a guy who is good you you basically backs himself and goes into a, a contract year and, and does really well and then suddenly you're having to pay him like a superstar um yeah i i would think that trying to re-sign samuel would be a smart move right now okay so what about behind those two then so you know right Zilstra, you know where, where's the depth at wide receivers you think so i think right has a contract option so if the if and I, and I think even if they exercise it, they can cut him in training camp sayings and save most of it. So although I'm not sure that Wright is necessarily a part of what they want to do going forwards, I mean, he, he's towards the end of his career and won't be around the far side of a rebuild. If from just a numbers perspective, it makes some sense to bring him back, uh, though, I, I I think he it's quite hard because he, he, he had a his his game took a real drop off this year. But some of the statistics are exaggerated compared to his actual play. So it's one of those things where he was not as good, but his numbers looked like he was abjectly terrible. I don't think he was quite that bad. Uh, Zilstra is sort of the other end of the spectrum where he came in for about two games, looked really quite good, but also is is is, is comparatively unknown. Um, I, I, I would have thought both of those probably come back, though I'm not sure both of them necessarily make the final roster. I think the thing is, is that there's, there's so much that the Panthers have two clear starters, which is nothing they haven't really had before, but they also have very little depth behind that of any real note. Chris Hogan, DeAndre White are both, both um, hitting free agency. They might bring one or both of them back, but again, I don't think either of them get brought back as definite roster spots. They're kind of just filling out the numbers. Um, the one thing about the receiver class, like the receiver position really, is that the draft class is really, really strong this year. And whilst you know there were some surprise people, um, returns to school, 
the the this this is this is probably the best receiver class for a number of years and so not only do the panthers have a chance to sign uh, maybe draft one or maybe even two sort of mid-round receivers who can come in and offer a higher quality of developmental depth but also the fact that the receiver class is strong is probably going to pull down receiver contracts in free agency a little bit and that might not be enough for you to go out and sign some you know number one wide receiver but people who maybe you couldn't have afforded in other years because of the quality of the receiver draft class you could maybe try and sign as a number three receiver i i would have thought if you're rebuilding the primary focus is going to be drafting receivers to develop and maybe having one or two veterans whether that's a Wright or a hogan just to kind of solidify things so i think this is a position that does look very different next year but it will depend a little bit on 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 how things fall in the draft uh i would be i would be surprised if they didn't draft a receiver but where they draft a receiver and whether they draft multiple receivers is kind of going to depend on just how things fall. Mm. I mean, what, you mentioned Hogan there while we're on the subject of him. He didn't seem to get an awful lot of game time. Um, I mean, what did you make of, of the signing of, of Hogan? So, I mean, he obviously got hurt for most of the season, which kind of limits things. And ultimately, he didn't sign for a ton of money. So it was it, the fact that he didn't have some... some he, he was effectively signed to be the number four wide receiver. And given how the Panthers played, he, his production is probably a little bit disappointing, but not exactly shocking. I, I think he was fine. Like he, he, what he does well was not something that that really fit in how the Panthers were trying to play offensively. Just you know, him and Curtis Samuel were probably the biggest victims of, of Kyle Allen, just because he couldn't get the ball deep. So they had to rely on under underneath stuff more, which isn't really their games. Uh, I, I think he's 32 or 33. Um, to start next season, so I'd I'd be a little bit surprised if the Panthers made bringing him back a priority. But you do need some veterans, and if he's going to cost you a million dollars, then that that's perfectly affordable veteran leadership, and he and he does offer some leadership, I think. But yeah, he, he's, he's, he's 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 I don't think he's going to be a particularly special player at this point in his career. Cool. Okay, let's let's talk uh, O line then. <laughs> This, yeah. oh, this one could be interesting. <laughs> so if we look at obviously some of the um, the people we've got and you know, locks to come back, what are you thinking there? Like Little Daily? Yeah. Uh, I, I, so, yeah, so I, I think Paradis and Turner are the two you can basically write in now as starting at centre and right guard. Um, I, I think Little will probably start at left tackle as well. Uh, I'd be very surprised if he didn't. I mean, they spent a second round pick a year ago. On him, and actually, while his injuries clearly were an issue last year, he actually looked pretty good when he played. Like he was not bad at all. Um, the question becomes more about how you work around left guard and right tackle, because Dennis Daly had a mixed season last year, uh, uh, as did. T- and I think the thing with Daly is that he he isn't really a left tackle, and whilst he did some nice things, the fact that he isn't really a left tackle became pretty clear. Um, when he got exposed by better athletes. Um, and so the question is whether he he moves inside to left guard, whether he plays right, goes to compete with Moten at right tackle, or whether he then becomes sort of the multi-purpose backup. Um, some of that will also depend on how they feel about Moten. So Mot- the issue with Moten is, is, is he's entering his contract year, and while he hasn't been bad, I mean, he was, he was quite good a couple of years ago, he he hasn't really developed that much since then. Like he, he came into the NFL as a 
promising player with flaws and now he's a pretty good player with flaws and it's hard to imagine he's one of those players where he could play at right tackle and he you wouldn't if he's the worst player on your offensive line then that's probably because you've got a pretty good offensive line but he's also not a massive asset to an offensive line and so it 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 would be really interesting to see whether the Panthers have much interest in re-signing him if, 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 at the end of this year. So he's potentially somebody that I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if they started listening to trade offers for as we get into the season. Um, and if it, that is the case, you kind of have to have a plan of what you're going to do. You know, does Daly then play right tackle? The big question mark in all this is Greg Van Roten, who I think was a pretty serviceable left guard last year, but wasn't a star, but obviously is hitting free agency. And I think the Panthers would probably like to have him back, if only as a multi-purpose sort of depth piece who can play a number of positions and, and, and offer some value. But again, it's going to depend on on the contracts. Like the Panthers probably have, because they're, they're rebuilding and aren't going to go and try and re-sign every single one of their veteran players, they probably do have more cap room than we thought they might. And so they probably could bring back GVR. But if another team wants to pay him like a, like a, like a, you know, a, a high-quality starter, then I think the Panthers... Are going to struggle to justify bringing back an older an older veteran again. Uh, it, it the offensive line is very much in flux, as you can probably tell by the fact that I'm sort of equivocating quite a bit. Mm. Uh, but what, it, what, it, while we're on the subject, what about Williams? Do you think? I I, th- I, I can't imagine they bring him back. I, I and uh, the the only scenario I see them bringing him back is if he hits free agency, his value just isn't really there at all, and he comes back on a mm you know, two-year, $3 million deal type thing where he's just, you know, I, I can't see how you assume he makes the roster. You know, he, he, he again, another player, a bit like Moton, and this is this is maybe one of the criticisms you could have of sort of Matsko and maybe a new offensive line coach fixes this, but Williams hasn't really developed after sort of year two. Um, and while he's relatively good at, like, not completely falling apart, he consistently gets beat and you can't if he's starting you 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 have to worry about the fact he's starting and, and that that's that's not a good you're going to struggle if he's starting effectively um uh, and I, I i'd imagine that someone else takes a risk on him and yeah I, it's one of those things and i think this is a point that needs to be made for all the positions is that there are lots of people who've been around the panthers under rivera for season after season after season Partly because Rivera was familiar with them, but also just because there is that you you do have you know they were competing and so that the, the continuity was possibly worth a little bit more uh, than than upside because you wanted to be good right now, not as good as possible in two or three years time. And if they are going to rebuild, and particularly with a new coaching staff, lots of the players who who have been somewhat familiar but peripheral faces, I think, start to move on. And I think Williams and maybe GVR even are, are in that category. And I, and I think Tyler Larson, who's been the backup centre for at least three or four years now, is also in that category where he, he, he looked pretty poor in pre-season, but ultimately didn't really bring in a replacement for him because the end they weren't going to stick a rookie you know, under UDFA centre in, in place of him unless they were significantly better than him. And whereas I think, although he's under contract for next season, he's someone who I think will go in competing with a UDFA or a late round draft pick for a roster spot because players who've just kind of been penciled in as good enough, I think the new regime are going to take a, a deeper look at that. Just just because they, if if you're rebuilding, you 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 have the flexibility to, to do that. Mm. So if if we're looking at the O line, you know, how much 
are we going to be thinking and, and talking about over the coming season and throughout the draft about scheme adjustment, about player development, or you know, is it just personnel? Is that what we need to really focus on right now? So I, th- I think it's a it's a bit of both. I mean, so so some so there are so p- players like Greg Little. I think are actually. I mean, I, I really liked him as a draft prospect. Uh, I, I think he showed some nice things in 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 the season when he did play. He obviously needs to stay healthy, but but I think I think having someone like him at left tackle, particularly if you can get players like him and Dennis Daly, are sort of you know they're still very young. If you have an offensive line coach who can really help them and develop them, both of them could be good NFL players in the future you know you, you could there was a lot of talk sort of early on in the season that you know this is sort of the left side of the offensive line of the future and I'm not sure whether Daly plays left guard or ends up playing right tackle or or, or wherever but but I think there is there, there there are there are young players there aren't loads of them but there are young players on this roster who could um in the very near future become serviceable to good NFL players with potentially in Little's case an extremely high upside still so, so I think some of it is things that with competent developmental coaching uh, gets better. I also think some of the scheme stuff will just happen because the Panthers have run a very offensive line, heavy scheme under North Turner and also before under Shula to a certain extent. So I think I think some of it gets better with, with better positional coaching and a more offensive line friendly scheme. But I do also think they have to add some talent. But particularly, I think it's worth where right now you... you if they don't sign anyone, the offensive line will probably be some version of Little, Daly, Paradis, Turner, and Moton, and I think you probably have to be better than that. That that you you want players like Dennis Daly and Taylor Moton to be competing to start, not just locked in starters. Um, and I think that requires you to spend some to, to invest in the offensive line, which I think is probably more a draft thing, particularly if the Panthers are rebuilding. That that that, that you. Maybe some borderline free agents sort of come in to, to offer some security, but I, I think the Panthers will probably target this in the draft as an area to to bring in talent to compete and to to, to offer some long term uh, options. Good stuff. Cool. So that wraps up the individual positions of the offense. Before we finish off, though, do you have any sort of thoughts as the offense as a whole and 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 where? where we're looking to, to go as we head in towards the draw? Yeah, so I, I, I think some of it is is going to depend um, on exactly what, what Joe Brady wants to do. I think also a lot of it is going to depend on what happens at quarterback because if you're if you're anticipating having somebody, maybe it's not Carl Allen, but but if you're anticipating having a more limited quarterback, you, you that does change what you do offensively. But... I would have thought they're going to try and build around the core of more Samuel Thomas and McCaffrey. That's going to kind of be the 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 the, the skill position top of the roster type players. And it's then about I think given the draft the draft class looks extremely deep at all the skill positions really. And so finding finding some high quality developmental depth across the board is probably something that maybe not in the first round but towards the end of day 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 two and particularly into day three. You're, you're, the Panthers, I think, would be foolish not to try and find players. And I think also, if you if you look at like the Joe Brady thing about, he talks a lot about finding things that players do well. And this is something that say Carl Shanahan has talked a lot in the past about the NFL underrating players who are just really, really good at one thing rather than necessarily well-rounded players. 
And that's maybe something you start seeing. You see a tight end who maybe isn't the best blocker, but is a really, really good receiving option. Maybe that's something they look at. Or, or almost the inverse, where you have a guy where, okay, we're just going to have one guy whose job is to be the specialist blocker. Rather than having Manhurts, who kind of does that and does a little bit of other stuff, and Armour, who sort of plays a bit of fullback and a bit of tight end, we're going to have one guy, and he's going to be the blocking guy. Um, and, and then the same thing at receiver. You have you, know, you want people who are who have who can rotate in and in their rotational role, rather than just being a worse version of somebody else, offer one particularly good trait. So whether that's a receiver who just gets vertical very quickly, a, a specialized sort of um, possession guy, or, or more of kind of the the, the slot uh, route running type. You know, they're sort of archetypes. But if, if you look at, say, um, Tampa Bay's receiving core, not last year, but the season beforehand, they kind of had one receiver of every different type. And so they they, they had Mike Evans who and, and Chris Godwin, who was sort of the outside route running, beating press receivers. And you had Deshaun Jackson, who could get vertical. And you had Adam Humphreys, who was a nightmare in the slot. And then you had OJ Howard, who could kind of be more, you know, more of the athlete and do a little bit of everything. And if you can build those kind of receiving cores where teams can't key in all one or two players, I think that's, that's something that, that we might see quite a lot of. I, I think in terms of a little bit yeah. like we had um, Jarius Wright as Mr. Third Down. Yeah, it's kind of that, but taking it to to a ne- the next level. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and that's kind of if you look at the 2015 receiver core when when Calvin Benjamin was out and they went to the Super Bowl, you know, you did kind of have that 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 you know Ted Ginn was going to go vertical and he might you know run some back breaking routes and, and and things sort of might drop it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but it, but, it, but, but, I, but I think that, that but that's that's the, the the thing with players like Ted Ginn and uh, is 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 there is value there. Like, even if he doesn't catch the ball, even if he doesn't get thrown the ball, the fact that the defense has to adjust to always have someone over the top of him opens up things for everybody else because they always have to have a deep safety over the top of him, and that means that, that they're probably going to have to double him because either they're playing zone because that's the way they're going to try and make sure they, 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 they cover him across the field. Or if they're playing man coverage, they have to have a safety over the top. And so, yes, he might drop the ball occasionally, but, but what he does to the defense schematically is, is more than makes up for that. And then you have the Jericho Cotteries who, who can do sort of the more possessions type stuff. Philly Brown does a little bit here and there. He was actually quite a good route runner, um, uh, although definitely not like a number one or two receiver. And then you've got a, sort of a young Funches who was more of the kind of um, athlete who kind of moved around a bit. And then Greg Olson was essentially your main route runner and your, 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 you know, your, your number one receiver. And if you can build a receiver core where you have complementary skill sets, that that's that's really when you start having an offense that is greater than the sum of its parts. Whereas I think for a lot of the time in Carolina over the last sort of decade, really, you've had an offense that had a lot of individual talent, and where the scheme was essentially allow the off individual talent to be great, and and that doesn't really work as we've seen in Cleveland this year, where if you just have really good skill position players and running backs and just say, well, we're just going to ask you to be really good you always end up with something that's a bit less than the sum of its parts. Um, and that's partly because the skill sets there didn't match. They, were, oh, they, were, they had other issues as well. But 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 I think that that will be something that will be interesting to see how the Panthers try and flesh out their roster and try and have an offense where at times this year you knew it was going to go to Christian McCaffrey or if they threw it, it was going to go to one of Samuel or Moore. Uh, and that just makes it so much easier for a defense than having, you know, Brady talked a lot about having like six legitimate options with the quarterback keeper. And and that's what you should want to have. You should want a defense to have to defend six players across the whole 
you know, width and depth of the field. And that's something the Panthers and other teams have been really poor at. And so, but, but that requires having six legitimate options, not like two really good receivers and a running back. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I think that would be something to look at, particularly in the draft. Um, and then the offensive line, I think just need, needs to, to get better. And part of rebuilding will be working out how much of that is, is the talent you have on your roster and how much of that is, is having to add players. Um, and, and I think also if the Panthers are rebuilding, which I think is what it looks like, we, we need to realize that the offense is not going to be amazing in, in 2020. That doesn't mean it's going to be terrible, but the idea that you fix all of these things at once, you know, I, I can't remember who it was, but I think there was someone, I think it was CBS was saying, you know, they did a mock draft and saying, well, because Keekley's retired, which we'll talk about in the defensive one, but the Panthers have to draft a, a line, you know, they need to find a linebacker. And actually, if you're rebuilding, you don't have to fill needs as they pop up. You fill them based on who's available. And then in a year or two's time, when you filled enough of the needs and you only have sort of a handful of them, you can then start targeting a bit more. But when you've got 20 needs, it doesn't really matter which order you fill them in. So I think expect a very pragmatic approach to free agents in the draft is, is the other thing. Good stuff. Cool. So that, <clears throat> excuse me, just about wraps up the offensive side of the ball. Um, sounds like we've got a fair bit of work to do there and we haven't even started on the defence yet. Yeah. But we're going to be going through the D in a hell of a lot more detail on the next episode. So that's about all from us this week. Um, please do subscribe, like, comment, review, all that good stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Tell all your friends, family, enemies, whoever about us, and do give us both a follow on Twitter. Um, I'm at Royal Right UK. Uh, Vincent, where do people send your fan mail to? Uh, I, I am at V Richardson 444. Great stuff. Thank you very much, Vincent. That's all from us this time, but do join us next time on the Great British Drafting Show. Bye.